Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. Today we've got Ryan Kohler in the studios in Boulder, Colorado. Trevor Connor, you are up in Toronto in Canada. We've got Rob Wardell, he's actually in Manchester, but originally from Glasgow, or you live in Glasgow, I'm not sure where you're originally from, um, and I am in uh, Niwot, Colorado. So welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Great to have you on the show. It's around this time of year that many cyclists and endurance athletes enjoy a brief off-season. Recovery is important to recharge your body and your mind for next season's preparation. Recovery from individual workouts is critical, too. So, we are pleased to announce the new Recovery Pathway from Fast Talk Laboratories. Our new Recovery Pathway explores the best methods to recover from workouts, how to track and analyze recovery, and the consequences of not recovering enough. We tap world-leading experts like Dr. Shona Halson, Dr. Steven Seiler, Sage Roundtree, Dr. Andy Pruitt, and many more. About a third of our Recovery Pathway is free through our free listener membership, Optimize your recovery now. See our recovery pathway at fasttalklabs.com slash pathways. Just to give a little backstory, Rob and I don't really, we haven't really stayed in touch all that much over the past five or six years, but we met at a mountain bike stage race in Israel of all places, had a great time there. Um, and lo and behold, he is on the show because he's not only raced at a lot of different levels, had a lot of different coaches in his life. He is a coach himself, coaching uh, athletes of all different levels. And he's the owner of Wardell Cycle Coaching, which is a bit in its infancy, but he wants to grow it. Um, so, Rob, thank you again for joining us. Maybe give folks out there a little bit of uh, a, a, a deeper dive into your background, if you would, just just briefly. Certainly, I'm not known for um, being able to keep things brief, brief, but I'll do my best. Um, yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm 36 years old from Scotland. Um, mostly, I would class myself as a mountain bike racer or mountain bike rider, um, but I have ridden uh, across a variety of disciplines, cross road, um, and I've ridden to UCI level um, and mountain bike world cups, um, like UCI uh, road races such as you know, Tour de Beauce is a good example. Um, and race cross in Belgium. So uh, I'd been a, a cycling coach since I was well, 21 years old. So 2007, I started coaching. And I've worked through a number of federations, including Scottish cycling, British cycling. And I've also done work with the UCI um, as a coach and as a, a coach educator as well. Excellent. Yeah. And you just finished up uh, Marathon Worlds on the mountain bike and had a great experience there. Yeah, absolutely. It was a incredibly hard race kind of kind of pinching myself that I was back and racing at that level as well but uh yeah fantastic race really really enjoyed it and it's kind of wet my appetite I, as as well as coaching athletes so I, you know may, may well want to continue racing at that level myself it's, yeah uh, it's all good fun well let's uh let's jump into the questions this one comes from a Stuart Hardy he's in Adelthorpe in the UK Rab how far are you from Adelthorpe right now I don't know where Adelthorpe is. <laughs> neither, neither do I. I'll have to, uh, I can find out for you. Okay. You, <laughs> you Google that while I read the question. 
Okay, so so uh, Stuart here, he writes, are there any detrimental effects to dropping Siler's Zone 3 efforts into the long, slow rides, which are, for him, two to three hours in length? Essentially, this would mean riding easy on the flats and hitting the short, punchy hills, which he's de- uh, defining as one to five minute hills uh, we have around here, and doing those hard. Basically, I would be either easy or all out in the same ride. I suppose the question it really is, does going into VO2 or anaerobic during a long aerobic ride cause the body to change its mode of operation and shift energy systems, thus negating the benefits we're striving for by riding for longer, i.e. fat max aerobic capacity? Does it shift the body towards glycolysis and then it doesn't revert back between the efforts? Given this is a bit of a physiology dive, Trevor, do you want to start things off? Sure. I'll start out with that, answering the question about glycolysis. First, remember that your body, your cells, your muscle cells aren't either doing glycolysis or doing aerobic metabolism. As a matter of fact, you have to be producing energy through glycolysis in order to be able to also produce energy through aerobic metabolism because the end product of glycolysis is necessary uh, for the Krebs cycle, which is the, the, the first stages of, uh, of aerobic metabolism. So don't think of it as, oh, I've, I've, I've got glycolysis going, therefore my, my aerobic system is shut down. That's not the way to think about it. Really, from a physiological perspective, all that's happening when you're hitting those, those punchy hills really hard is you're starting to recruit more muscle fibers. You can bring in more of those 2X muscle fibers, which really can't work aerobically uh, and are going to produce most of their energy just glycolytically. You're, you're going to bring them in. They're going to do some work. And then when you're recovering, you're going to go back to using the more aerobic fibers. So it, it's not an either or. That's not the, the, the way to think about this. And those more aerobic fibers, they're certainly going to be recruited and doing both uh, glycolysis and aerobic metabolism during those efforts. They're just not going to be producing that much of the energy. Very good. Rob, what would you add here to, to um, or how would you answer Stuart's question about throwing in some hard efforts, some, as he puts it, Siler zone three, so high intensity efforts into his long rides? Do you tend to stray away from that? Do you use those types of rides effectively at certain times of the year? What, what would you say? I have a feeling like Stuart maybe knows the answer to the question that he's answer, asking or, or, or what. It is definitely going to have an effect on the, the effects of what you get from the ride. It's, it's questioning what's the, what is the objective of that ride? Why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it a, a fat max aerobic capacity? Are you looking for an aerobic adaptation? You're looking or, or you're looking at your, your, your fat max uh training that fat max zone and becoming more fat adapted um it's one to five minute hills but how how frequently are we seeing this you know because it could potentially be if you're riding up and down every hill it's, it's kind of sounds like it's it's almost turned into a bit of a strava hunt you know kind of ride i'm just going to go ride around go up all the local hills and ride as fast as i can did you google adelthorpe do we know the terrain he's talking about He's in uh, he's in East Yorkshire, right on the right on the coast of England. So it's not it's not a it's not a million miles away from where I am. But yeah, you can you can certainly hit some some hills. That's for sure. It's it, it just kind of sounds to be honest. It sounds to me like 
the goal is to do an, uh, an aerob- aerobic endurance ride, like a base ride. My question would be, you know, why, why do you want to do the, again, it's what, what are you training for? What, what racing are you training for? What time of year is it? If it's your winter base ride, I'd probably say that, yeah, you're going to see some detrimental effects to that. And again, it's you're kind of dropping Siler's own three efforts into the long, slow rides. Um, I, I, would, I would certainly question it. Uh, it it's, a, it's something I often find with riders is you almost, when you're wanting to do these uh, aerobic endurance or uh, you know, aerobic conditioning rides, is you're, you're trying to slow these riders down a lot and, and trying to get them to stay in zone. So yeah, that I guess that would be my instinct is I would I would recommend to not drop in Siler's own three efforts into the long slow rides. Well, it sounds to me like you're suggesting he knows the answer that he shouldn't be doing this, but he wants to do it because it's more fun. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's loads of fun. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I get that from athletes all the time. They're looking for that reason to say, well, I'm going out for doing a, a slow, easy base ride, but and and pick your justification, but they ultimately go, but yeah, I'm just throwing in a couple efforts, you know, just one 10 minute climb. The the thing that I would suggest is maybe think you're working on the, the actual, the discipline of the ride and then the, and the training execution. So if you have, if you do have an outcome that you're looking to achieve, which is your aerobic adaptations, then you it might not be the most fun, um, you know, and you might want to ride up the climbs faster and, and race your friends because that is a lot of fun. Um, but again, where does it fit in in the big picture? What is it you're What is it you're hoping to achieve? Um, you know, if if you're not training for a race and you don't have any particular performance or outcome goals that you're looking for, do what you want. <laughs> you know, it's like go go have fun, go ride go ride hard up the hills. But if you're if you if you're training for something you almost question why or why do you want to do that? Mm. Ryan, you coach a lot of uh, junior athletes. I wonder if this is also an issue with them where they, you know, they just don't necessarily understand or care and they want to go hard at times because it is fun, but are there, have you developed any tricks to make them understand the importance of sometimes you just have to go slow because that's the adaptation you're looking for? Yeah, this sounds exactly like their typical ride is uh, they have this idea of going out for, you know, an LSD type of ride, but uh, the first hill comes up or the first rider that passes them and it's all over. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I fully agree with uh, with what Rob said is um, we need to question these these things and just know what the purpose is. But uh, with I mean, with juniors going back to that question, yeah, I, I think they have a tendency to just want to always go hard. And and the beauty of it for them is that they pretty much can for quite a lot, a long time, longer than we can, at least, you know, for a while, they just keep bouncing back. So it sort of feeds that forward for them to keep doing it. But one thing that I've found that helps is when we can get them to understand some of the structure and actually teach them how to do the high intensity sessions properly, then we can properly get them tired where they understand the value of these, these easier, longer rides. And, um, I found that, you know, it, it takes a few, it takes a few tries, even, even a whole season, but now some of the older riders on the team I'm working with, 
when we do an easy ride, they come back and they're like, Oh, that was great. It was so easy. And they're like, that's what we needed. And they, they, so now they have that appreciation and understanding of why we do a long steady ride like that. So, yeah, I think it's just helping to, um, one, figure out, yeah, why you're doing what you're doing. But then if there is that difficulty, uh, making sure that the training is arranged in such a way that, that they can ultimately learn and, and, and really just feel why you do these rides like that, you know? Mm. I mean, I really like that because in some ways the, it's not the, the point of polarize is not necessarily to, to, uh, well, it, in some ways it is. I think you, you do your hard sessions is very hard um, to get the most out of them. And you do your easy sessions to get the most out of those, but also to set you up for success in the hard rides, if I have it correctly. Yeah. And, and I'll say, I mean, they, they make, they've made a lot of mistakes along the way where they've done the, the LSD type ride over the weekend. They know we have uh, practice on Tuesday, but then they'll come in just completely fried on Tuesday. And when I ask why they're like, Oh, we rode, we rode up in the mountains three hours yesterday. And, and I know that wasn't an easy ride. So, you know, they make those mistakes, but I think as they do that, they, they sort of need to make those because it helps reinforce why they have the structure they have built in there. And then, yeah, over time they, they work it out and, and figure out how to, how to train. You know, there are definitely examples where riders will learn how to train and they will um, you know, they, they, they learn from their mistakes and they, you know, they learn from doing that, that hard ride in the mountains wasn't, wasn't what was prescribed or what they, what they should do. But there are so many riders out there that's, that just will do this forever. You know, they will ride hard forever and they, and they basically want to, they'll ask the question over and over and just wait to try and find someone that says, yeah, sure. That'll be good. Just, just do that. You know? And, <laughs> and you know, they, you know, it's almost like they, yeah, they'll just keep, who can I ask? Someone's going to tell me that we're just riding hard all the time. Is the, the secret. Um, but it's, I think um, you made a great point in, in saying that you want to try and educate the, the riders and knowing that to, to see the improvement that they want to make. This, this is, the, it is the best case scenario for training. It's been, it's been proven. There's lots of papers on it. There's lots of data on it. There's lots of great riders who will tell you how to do it. It just doesn't feel right. Riding a good quality, low intensity training ride it feels too easy it doesn't feel like you're training hard and it obviously it definitely takes a lot of time to do that to accumulate that time and zone and to accumulate that, that training time but it really is a case of, of beginning and learning to trust the process and, and having faith in the sessions that you are doing um, and realizing that it will take time and that can sometimes be difficult to swallow as well because if you've done 12 weeks of um, low intensity training and you don't feel like you've maybe come on that much. And then you start riding hard on some hills. And it's like you're, you're maybe building on top of the, the foundation that you've built. And you get fast, really. You get, you get fit really fast. And then you go, oh, man, I should have just been doing riding hard up hills for the last 12 weeks. I've just wasted all that time. Whereas actually, the reason you can't, the reason you are as good as you've become is because you've done that, that foundation work. Having a coach or having a coach or a training plan that you really have faith in and you, and you trust and you believe in and then execute it as well as you can and, and trust that process, you know, learn, learn from, learn from that experience as well and, and reflect on it too. I'm going to give a brief physiological explanation of why this really isn't that beneficial if you're looking for performance gains. So we're just going to do a physiological cost benefit analysis. And if you're, primary purpose is to go out and do a long, slow ride and you're throwing in a few punchy, really hard hills, 
you're probably doing them pretty infrequently. If you're doing them a lot, like you're, you're doing them back to back and throwing in a whole bunch of punchy hills, well, you're not doing a long, slow ride. You're doing an interval workout. So that's something completely different. And if that's the case with this person, then you need to, to reevaluate the, the purpose of that ride uh, because it's you're not accomplishing the purpose. So I'm thinking of this more as you're going out and doing a two, three-hour, mostly slow ride with, with three, four punchy hills in it. Remember, the, the whole principle of, of training here is to produce a training stress in a particular systems that's sufficient to, to spark an adaptation. If you're just throwing in a few of these punchy hills, that's not enough to produce a training adaptation. So you're really, unless you're absolutely brand new to the sport, um, but if you're an ex- experienced athlete, you've been, you've been training for a little bit, you're going to get no adaptive response whatsoever from those efforts. But what you are going to get from those efforts is some damage um, and fatigue, which is going to mean that it's going to take you longer to recover from that ride. So if you look at the physiological cost-benefit, you're adding a whole bunch of costs with zero gain. So that is about the worst cost-benefit analysis you can get. Excellent. Very, Very well put. Very well put. Excellent. Hey listeners, we started a bi-weekly series on our website that we're calling FTW, or Free This Week. Every other week, Fast Talk Labs will release one story for you, our listeners, to enjoy. We've already released cyclocross skills and drills from Coach Grant Holicky, our workshop on the Training Peaks Performance Management Chart, info on chronic training load, and the best features of Strava, Training Peaks, and Garmin Connect. Free articles and videos are waiting for you at FastTalkLabs.com. Join today at our free listener member level to enjoy this content. Well, let's move on to our next question. This one comes in from a Beth Frankel. She's out in Hilo, Hawaii, and she writes, When I started cycling seriously five years ago at the age of 22, I found a coach that I liked working with and who was also relatively new to the coaching field. We seem to click, and he has been a great partner in my progress. But now I feel like I've reached his limit, and therefore mine. I'm a Cat 3 getting decent results, but I want to take it up a level. As I look for my next coach, what are the things I should be looking for? What are the questions I should be asking myself in terms of what I need? And what are the questions I should be asking the potential coach to understand if he or she can meet those needs? A lot to unpack there, I think. Uh, Rob, I'll start with you. And I don't know if the uh, categorization system in the UK is the same. A cat three is um, cat one being, yeah, same. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. We don't we don't have cat five. We start at four and go okay. to three, two, one elite. Um, so that, that's uh, yeah, but similar similar process of scoring points and um, making your way through the through the categories. Excellent. So Cat Three is has progressed up two tiers, right? From Cat Five. Yes, definitely. Correct. Yep. Yeah, and, and and five years as well. Five years of uh, of cycling and 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 being coached as a cyclist as well. So beginning to certainly beginning to um, gain some experience. I think one thing to 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 touch on is it, it, I think it can be a good idea to change coach, um, especially if you've been working with the same coach for that amount of of time. You know, five years is quite a long time and 
I also want to say that you know, as a coach, if an athlete that you've been working with for five years wants to change coach, just try not take that personally. Um, it's you know, working with the same athlete for five years is, is fantastic, but you know, there's maybe a good chance that they've they've gotten from you what they they want to to get or or what they're able to get. And I remember listening to Mitch Docker talk about this. Um, another another other podcast plug. Um, apologies, but uh, Mitch Docker says you should change your coach almost as often as you change your accountant. But uh, I think he's he's saying that when you start working with a new coach. You know, the new coach wants to impress you. They want to, they want to, they're motivated to start working with a new athlete and a new client. And they, uh, they might bring some completely new ideas to you. And also you've got the motivation of an, a new athlete working with you. Cause it's, it's certainly in my experience when you start to work with a new athlete, you, you can tell that that athlete is really motivated. They're, they're bought into the process. They're ready to work with you. They're ambitious and they want, and they want to progress. So it, I would say, if you're the coach, don't take it personally. Um, if you're the athlete, certainly question it and, and think, could you get more from from a new coach? Um, it could be a new coach within the same within the same coaching business uh, or within the same company. So it's it's definitely worth considering. Um, and I think the things that you want to be looking for, um, certainly, it, it sounds like the 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 race experience or the or the the coach's experience. Um, if you're if you're reaching his his limit, you want to find a coach that's used to working with riders of a higher ability level than you. Um, purely because if you're 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 working with a coach that coaches cat twos, cat ones, pro riders, they can they can bring a whole lot of new um, new information uh, and new, new practices to you. And you also what might find out is that you have been doing some you're following some really good coaching principles and some really good practices. Um, and it'll give you confidence in what you have been doing as well, and and maybe increase your confidence that you you do know a little more about what you're doing. And there, you know, it's just going to take that little bit of extra time and and uh, and maybe making some tweaks as you move forward. So you're thinking, answering that, you know, what 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 she should be looking for, I guess, is a an ex, a more experienced coach with uh, with athletes who are potentially getting good results and and, and are racing at a high level. Um, and in terms of asking what you need, I think you maybe question what you felt your previous coach wasn't able to deliver, um, and then and then go to look look for that in a in a new coach. Um, you know, it, it sounds like race experience is is likely to be that. Uh, Trevor Ryan, what would you add to uh, to answer this question for for Beth out in Hawaii? So I think one one piece that stood out to me was uh, what are the questions I should be asking myself in terms of what I need? I think that's a pretty critical one. And that's something that would be worth taking the time to research. And, and when you're looking for a new coach, if those are truly unanswered questions, then I think even posing that to a coach, a potential coach, would be would be valid to say, hey, I'm not sure where I need to go next. Is that something you can help me develop? And uh, I, you know, I need to plug Trevor's gap analysis. I think we've got that webinar on that one. But something along those lines, where a coach can just start a discussion with you and just ask questions, and I think help you find out those areas of you know what are your not only strengths and weaknesses but what has worked well in the past what hasn't worked well how do you prefer to communicate how, how do you you know res, what do you respond best to 
in terms of even personality types. I mean, I think there's a lot of things like that you can go into with a coach. So, so I think just trying to identify some of those needs, if you can find someone that has that ability to just engage in the discussion, I think that would be a, a pretty, pretty big thing uh, to find out in a coach. And then I know personally over the years with, uh, with athletes that have contacted me um, sometimes just the simple question of like, Hey, what, what's your approach to coaching? What, you know, what do you do? Um, sometimes I found that at times I've been stumped by it and I was like, Oh wait, how, how do I describe that? You know? And that's, that's always a good reminder uh, as a coach to make sure you, you have that always fresh in your mind and figured out. Um, because I think that's a, a valid question. And another important question is just to ask the coach, like, what's your approach? How, how do you, you know, who do you like to work with? How do you work? And I think that can give you a lot of insight into what the relationship might look like if you were to work with that person. Trevor, what are your thoughts? This is such an interesting question, and I almost have as many questions back. Where I landed, uh, I'll try to give you a shorter version of this as I can. First of all, we've we've talked about this on the show, but I've always seen an athlete's career as having four stages. the The first stage is that you're brand new, and that's almost it's almost the most fun stage because it doesn't matter what you do and how dumb you train, you're going to get stronger because. You're brand new to the sport and there's nowhere to go but up. So that's stage one. Stage two is getting exposure to a higher level and it's more a mental stage where you generally get beat up and then you make that decision of, do I want to get to that level or am I happy where I'm at? If you get through that and decide you want to raise your level, you start getting into this the third phase, which I call the learning to train and race more perfectly uh, phase, which is perfecting how you train, looking at all the ways you can, you can improve your form. And you come out of that phase uh, into the fourth phase, which is what I call the champion phase, where you really know how to train right for yourself. You've, you've really maximized everything, and, and now you're just looking to, to be at your very best. The reason I bring that up is she's a, a cat three, so you could say that she's potentially already learned a lot of things and is doing a lot of things right with her previous coach and just needs to improve on that. So she's in the perfecting phase. But there are a lot of athletes who are pretty talented who get to that cat three level doing everything wrong, where they're actually more in that phase one. And just natural talent got them up to to a cat three. And in order to improve, they have to fundamentally change how they're training. And that has a big impact on the sort of coach you pick because some coaches have a system and when you, you hire that coach, it doesn't matter how you trained before, you're now working with their system, their approach to training. And that happened to me when I was a Cat 3. Uh, I went to the center in Canada and Hushang fundamentally changed the whole way I trained and it made me a much better cyclist. But if she's already figured out a lot of things and, and is doing a lot of things right, you don't want to throw that out. So you'd want to work more with that type of coach who's going to treat it more like a dialogue and, and look for the opportunities with that athlete. And I just, I don't know which one she is, so it's hard for me to answer. Well, very good. I mean, I, I like all of the answers you guys have given. It, it, it speaks to the vast experiences you have had, um, which makes me want to dive into this next question because I think it's also a very interesting one also about uh, the coaching aspect 
and the psychology of coaching between athlete and and um, and coach. This one comes from Dana Parker. She's in Bristol, Tennessee, and she writes. My coach and I have had some differences as of late as to how she should deliver certain messages and plans to me. For example, while she wants to, quote, teach me how and why to do certain things, sometimes I just want to be told what to do. I have a lot going on in life, and the last thing I want to do as I prepare to head out the door to do intervals is to read an email about some scientific principle or physiological mechanism. Just tell me how hard to go, how long to go, and when I can call it a day. Is there something I can do to help her understand that the, quote, why isn't always important to me? Or can you can convince me that the why is more important than I think it is? Or do I just need to find a new coach? <laughs> so, um, Rob, do you want to start with this one as well? This is a very interesting uh, question in my, my point of view. Um, gets into that realm of psychology that I bet every coach deals with at some point or another. Some probably more are more comfortable with it than, than others. What would you say here to Dana? I thought it was a really interesting question. It's a, it is, it's, 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 it's a funny one because a lot, a lot of um, people do want to coach because they simply want to be told what to do. They want to take the, the guesswork or the or the thought out of the training and they and they basically want a schedule to follow um which i think can work i think it can work quite well um for some people i mean i think it sounds like dana has already fed this back to her coach but um if if not i think that's the the first thing that would really need to be needs to be done is a uh, is, is feed the back feedback why basically what they're looking for as a as a as a coach athlete what what their expectations are um and, and to i guess to, to be up front with that it's um in my opinion i think it is it is great to to learn about the i guess to learn about what the the, the principles the scientific principles of the training and the and and the physiology of, of what you're trying to achieve what the goal of the session is and how that fits into the into the cycle, I think that's a great thing to be able to learn. But I'd also understand that a lot of people have a lot going on, and they don't necessarily even you know, don't necessarily care. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's that's the big thing. It's it's you. Know, I also think the communication between an athlete and a and a, a coach is is really important it's something that i always look for it's something that I, I i kind of pride myself on is that we do have very regular contact um you know a scheduled call uh, weekly with everyone that i coach and and it is that it's, it's trying to create that rapport and that relationship with the rider so you can you can get honest feedback backwards and forward you know back and forth um and not just hear the positive things but also hear the negative so that you can make those changes um but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm actually really interested to hear what the what the guys think um, on this one too. Yeah, Ryan, why don't you chime in here? It almost sounds like Dana's coach is trying to, or maybe not trying to, but is almost like over-educating her in a way. She feel it almost seems like she's just getting too much education from the coach. If this has already been fed back to her coach. Um, 
then maybe the discussion needs to be, there's, I want to learn something about the physiology, about the why, about all, all of those things that you're trying to teach me, but potentially it's, it's, it's happening too frequently is what I'm getting from this one. So I wonder if through their communication, they can set up a time to say, Hey, 90% of the time, I just need to be told what to do so I can get out, get it done and, and, and move on to the next thing in life. But if it's like, like Rob said, maybe it's a weekly phone call or, you know, every two weeks or something, whatever that time frame is, maybe they can work out some sort of arrangement to say, Hey, let's, let's give ourselves 30, 45 minutes every month, every two weeks, whatever it is. And then that's the time where maybe Dana, finds those things that are important that she wants to learn about and she can get that information at that time. But the rest of it, the coach would just need to understand, Hey, just tell me what to do. So I don't know if they can find a happy medium. And I think every coach is different where you're going to find coaches that don't do well with the, just tell me what to do. Honestly, I don't, if an athlete tells me that I, I won't coach them. So um, I want more of that engagement. So I think it, it just needs to go a little bit deeper in in the conversation to figure out if they can come up with a happy medium. And then, yeah, if not, then maybe time to unhitch your cart from that horse and, and find another one, you know, and, and move, move along. So my answer to this question is, yeah, I get it. I, I think you guys agree completely with what both of you just said, which is, it sounds like this coach is, is being a little overboard and a little heavy handed with it. So maybe the coach has to, to back off and read their athlete a bit and read their interest. The only pushback I will give is I do feel strongly athletes who are of the philosophy of just give me the plan and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to think about it aren't taking responsibility for their own training. And I do think every athlete needs to take responsibility for their, their own training. You don't have to be an exercise physiologist. There are decisions you need to make out on the road that aren't in the plan because no plan is perfect. So you might have intervals one day and go out and, and start to do them and have to make that decision of maybe today's not the right day to do this. And if you don't have some understanding, some understanding of the why, some understanding of the, the underlying physiology, or at least how your body works, you can't make those choices. So sounds like the coach is, is heavy handed, but I am going to say to this athlete, you, you do need to take some ownership of this and you do need to learn. It really sounds like the, the match of, of athlete to coach. You know, it, it certainly isn't working. And, and also, which was touched on before, is the coach is, is likely not to be getting the job satisfaction out of coaching this athlete that they were, that they were looking for. Sure, they may be a little over the top and heavy-handed. You know, one of the things I really like about coaching is almost working as part of a team with the athlete or the team of athletes. I would almost suggest something like getting off the off the peg training plan you know save yourself some money you, you're not going to get as good a service but if that's what you want just get a off the peg well very good guys uh, it's been a pleasure rob thank you so much for joining us i'm glad we could connect after all these years after uh you know meeting up on the trails of israel thanks for joining us yeah, no problem at all um that's great it's, uh, as i've said before i'm a listener uh, as well so yeah keep up the keep up the great work and I'll, I'll keep tuning in. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. Your thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. 
As always, we'd love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. For Rob Wardell, Ryan Kohler, Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. 